in Ecclesiastes chapter number seven, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number one. Ecclesiastes chapter number seven, and the first verse declares, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart is wise, uh, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For the crackling of the thorns under a pot, so is, uh, so is the laughter of the fools. This is also vanity. Uh, surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than, than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and an advantage to those who see uh, the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is, is that wisdom uh, preserves the life of him who has it. Uh, just for a few moments this morning, I want to preach uh, from our, our thought, our subject, uh, truth for living, truth for living. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for all of the wonderful blessings that we have at our church. Um, I thank you for all of the wonderful opportunities that you give us to grow closer to you. Um, God, I pray that whether we are a seasoned member of Calvary or a first-time visitor, God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. God, I can't speak from anybody else, but I need to hear from you. God, I pray that you would take my time of preparation, my time of study, and I pray, God, that you would use it however you see fit. God, challenge us. God, transform us. God, don't let us go through the motions. Don't let us just get through another talk. But God, allow us to have a divine conversation between our hearts and your word. A conversation that is led and guided by your spirit. God, that's why we're here today. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a man on the screen uh, this morning, and this is my uh, maternal grandfather. Uh, his name is Joseph Woodson Stanley. Um, most people affectionately refer to him as little brother. Um, his oldest uh, sister could not pronounce his name, uh, so she started calling him little brother, and over the years it just kind of stuck. Uh, while most people call him little brother, I call him simply Papa. And uh, Papa actually, um, on March the 2nd, Papa turned uh, 90 years young. Uh, his, his mind is sharp, and the running joke around the family is, is that Papa is going to outlive all of us. Uh, he knows all of my kids' birthdays, and I struggle with it. Um, he never forgets a story. He never forgets a detail. And he is a huge blessing to our family, but specifically to me. Uh, I want to share about him today because much of who I am today is a result of the lessons that I learned from this man. 
me watching his work, me watching him serve, me observing how he not only provided for his immediate family, my grandmother, my mother, and my auntie, but also by how he took care of his extended family. I love my grandfather because he not only has loved me and cared for me, but when I look over my life, I can certainly say that he has shared some significant wisdom that I've been able to appreciate and apply in my life. I really believe that's kind of the theme and the tone of our text this morning. It's a, it's a, it's a theme and a tone where there's an older man, an older figure who's pouring out wisdom into the family of faith. In our passage, there is a noted transition. Thus far, Solomon has told us that you can't work enough, you can't drink enough, you cannot party enough, you cannot have sex enough to be satisfied outside of God's will. But now in the text, we are seeing something a little bit different. There's a, not a changing of, of an author or changing of the truth, but there's a changing of the tone in the text. It's as if there's an older, wise sage who is specifically desiring to give us a message that we can apply to our lives. Desiring to give us a message that we can personally apply that will help us be the men and the women, the followers of Christ that God has called us to be. It's amazing to me that there's a privilege that comes any time I speak to my grandfather. He's going to tell me he loves me. He's going to tell me he cares for me. He's going to tell me he's proud of me. But he's also going to challenge me to spend more time with him. He's going to challenge me to slow down. He's going to challenge me to come visit him up in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. He's going to say things like, son, you're working too much. You need to come see Papa. He's going to tell me, son, you need to cut off that computer. You need to come see Papa. He's going to tell me specifically, you need to do whatever it takes to come and spend some time with me. He's even going to remind me that he's too old to drive to Athens, Georgia. He's going to say, you need to come see your granddaddy. When I think about it, Ecclesiastes 7 specifically, but anytime, not just Ecclesiastes 7, but anytime we approach the Bible or a time of prayer or a time in God's house, anytime we are doing something spiritual, here's what I want you guys to think about. It's an opportunity for God to spend some time with us. Honestly, anytime you pray, you have personal worship, you have corporate worship, anytime you do missions, anytime we do something that, where God is involved, it is an opportunity for us to be with God. I don't have time to go there this morning, but if you go to the New Testament, there is a Greek term uh, that Jesus would often use. It's met out, met out to. This word in Greek or this phrase in Greek means to be with him. Really, the great privilege of the Christian life is not just to not go to hell. The great privilege of the Christian life is that we can live life with God. The great privilege of the Christian life is that you and I are able to spend time with God, to walk with God, to talk with God, to hear from God, to fellowship with God. And in the text, Solomon is serving as God's spokesman. Solomon is serving as God's, uh, God's spokesman this morning. And he's saying as an older, wiser man that God has something significant to say to you, but God also has something significant to say through you. No, I will never be on the level of Solomon or any other biblical author, but I do believe that God so desires to use my life. God so desires to use me in such a way where I also can be his spokesman. We got to remember 
This specifically, the spokesman that we're hearing from today uh, has a lot to say about life and he has a lot to say about living. The spokesman that we are hearing from today is one who, ha- who can honestly say that he accomplished everything that his heart desired. There was nothing left for him to pursue. If success was marked by money or women, if success was marked by wisdom, this man was the most successful man ever to live. This man was the most uh, wealthy man to ever live, and this man, at the end of his life, is given some wisdom that can be applied to our lives. He's telling us, don't chase everything under the sun. He's telling us, don't waste your life thinking that you're going to be happy by the toy. He's telling us that, yes, God has given us great gifts, but also last week we learned that that not only is the gift a significant blessing from God, but also the ability to enjoy the gift is also a significant blessing from God. So Ecclesiastes chapter number seven opens up. And Solomon is specifically speaking about how you and I can live life in such a way where we can not just be important, but we can be impactful. He says three significant things today that I believe that we can apply to our life. And Solomon opens up chapter number seven by speaking about the importance concerning how we live. He speaks about the importance concerning the life that you live. Go back with me to verse number one. It says... A good name is better than precious ointment. The first part of this verse is is similar to Proverbs 22, verse 21. It says a good name is chosen rather than great riches. Here in Ecclesiastes, the passage uh, gives us a comparison of a good reputation. And it gives us this this mental picture that, that a good reputation is like rich aroma or a rich fragrance in our lives. Uh, he does this in Hebrew by giving a simple wordplay that we can miss if, if we don't look at it in Hebrew. Uh, there's a paraphrase that makes it a little bit more clear. I'm going to put this on the screen. A paraphrase says, fair fame is better than fine perfume. Say it again. Fair fame is better than fine perfume. This proverb may have been significant in the text because uh, they were a people uh, who lived uh, in a time and a culture that celebrated scented oils. They celebrated fragrance as a high commodity. If you smelt good, you not just look good. No, I'm just joking. I, that's, if, you, if you know Deion Sanders, you know, it's a whole other conversation. If you think about the passage, if you think about the text, if you think about what's being communicated, the passage is telling us, it's communicating to us, that yes, you can do things to increase your life. Yes, you can do things to improve your life. But ultimately, the character on the inside is what matters the most. Yes, you can do things to build up your life, to improve your life. But here's the truth of the text. You and I are called to not simply wear uh, the cologne of the world. We are called to wear good cologne of good character. As we read the passage, it has been said that there are a lot of things that you and I can do to, quote unquote, improve our lives. 
Uh, this morning, I, I, sister, you look so pretty this morning. You, 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 you got up this morning, you put on makeup, you, you, you did your hair. There's some people who have taken it a step further. They've, they've gotten some surgery to improve a certain part of their body. There, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a group of us that is working out. We're trying to do things to improve ourselves. There are some of us who go to a tanning bed weekly. There's some of us who have a personal stylist. There's some of us who do all these things to try to transform form our lives, but here's the truth, is my personal commitment to outside transformation greater than my commitment to personal inside transformation? When you look at it, when you look at the text, here's what's being communicated. You and I are foolish if we spend more time trying to improve something on the outside that is wasting away versus giving our life to improving something on the inside that makes God glad. Even you think about the, the possessions and the things that we are able to possess. You think about uh, the ability to drive the right car or live in the right house. You can think about the opportunities that God gives us. And yes, it is true. We want to live good. We want to prosper. We want to be blessed. But here is the truth. Who cares how good you smell when your life stinks? <laughs> Who cares how attractive and beautiful you are on the outside when the inside, the part that people are not able to see, is decaying and dying? I, I hate our culture. And I want to I say that word on purpose. I hate our culture because we have been presented with this option to put forth this 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 lie. So easy for us to put forth this image of something that is just not true. It's so easy for us to live in such a way where we're not honest about what we're thinking, what we're feeling and who we are. And if we're not careful, we will begin to believe the lie. And yes, it's okay for personal improvement if you want to get your teeth whitened, if you want to lose some weight, if you want to change your hairstyle. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. Whatever you have been called to do or whatever you desire to do to improve yourself, praise God for that. As long as that is always secondary and subordinate to me improving the inside of my life. The, the older I get, this is the truth, the older I get the more I began to realize and recognize that what I value most is a person's character. I can remember when I was at Morehouse College and I wanted to be a, uh, an investment banker. I had such a high view of people with money. I had such a high view of people who worked on Wall Street. Then I began to grow. And I began to see, like, what is the profit of man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? I can even remember when I first got into ministry. If I'm honest... I probably had a, a higher view of the pastors and preachers who preached to full audiences. I probably unfortunately had a, a very poor perspective on what real ministry was like. I probably placed the larger ministries and the larger uh, audiences at a premium. You know what? Now that I'm older, I, I, don't care what, I don't care how many people a pastor preaches to. I don't care how big the sanctuary is. Now I'm more concerned with is their life free from scandal and sin, right? I, I used to really place a premium on um, people who could have great experiences. Now, and I'm not going to call anybody out because if I, if I miss somebody, I may hurt some feelings. But now as I think about couples, right, 
I'm thinking about the ones who are together. I'm not thinking about the ones who have the great vacation, or have the great house, or have the, the, the pretty white picket fence. And now I'm thinking about the ones who really are loving each other well. The ones who are committed to Christ and committed to being with one spouse. Now I'm starting to celebrate not the, not the, the, the couples that have, you know, the, the perfect uh, Facebook photo. Now I'm starting to celebrate the couples who have children who are walking with God and who are doing what's right. The, the, the longer you live, the more you're going to start to value what God values. And the more we see in our text that, that the scriptures are calling us to, to be committed to not just having precious ointment on the outside, but we are committed to having not just a, a, a cologne that makes us pleasing to the world, but we are called to have a lifestyle. We are called to have character that's pleasing to Christ. So first Solomon addresses the life you live, but secondly, he speaks about the importance of the legacy that you leave. Verse 1 says again, a good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death is better than the day of birth. In the passage, the author moves from saying something that we can understand and appreciate to saying something that we do not want to hear. Especially Sean, I want to hear this this morning because it's his birthday. Happy birthday, bro. <laughs> but the scripture is not Thomas is saying, but the scripture is saying that Sean's death day is going to be better than his birthday. That, that, that's hard for us to accept. It's hard for us uh, to, to appreciate. But every person here, believer or unbeliever, we got to understand that there is a day appointed that every man and woman will die. Every one of us. Every one of us, uh, though we have a glorious birthday, although all of us uh, want to celebrate our born day, however you want to put it, the reality of it, reality of it is there will be a day when we die. And that's a good day when you're a Christian because the scriptures tell us that to be absent from this body means that we are present with the Lord. In the first part of verse 1, we essentially see a reminder that what's on the inside is more important than what's on the outside. Your character is more important than your cologne. But immediately in the second stanza, he follows up with the truth that he says, your birthday is not better than your death day. He says, your death day is more important than your birthday. And in the passage, it's communicating, we need to quit worrying about the external things in our life, and we need to start looking at the internal parts of our life that matter the most. What if instead of settling for uh, great birthdays, instead of living uh, our lives trying to celebrate a great birthday, how about we live our lives in such a way where we are trying to celebrate a great death day? We're trying to live in such a way where we can truly show that at my death day, that my cologne was not just external, but the cologne of Christ was something more internal. Some days, uh, it's hard for us to admit this, but birth is really all about potential. Uh, right now, my kids are dreaming about different careers. Some days, uh, little T wants to be a pastor, and other days, he wants to be a firefighter. Uh, oddly enough, pastors and firefighters kind of have a similar job. We put out fires a lot. <laughs> Other days, I mean, some days my daughter, she wants to be a lawyer. Uh, some days she wants to be a dentist. 
Uh, Timothy, on some days he wants to be an artist. On other days he wants to be a trained engineer. Now, Titus is consistent. If you know Titus, he's going to be a police officer. That that boy is going to lock up somebody. I guarantee it, 100%. So, so, So when I think about my kids, all of my kids possess great potential. Uh, And I hold my kids very, very loosely because I've got to be reminded that my kids belong to God. And when I pray for my children, I want to dream for them. I want to desire big things for them. But I must understand that what I desire for them has got to be bigger than them being a great athlete or being um, the the number one student in their class. Uh, What I desire for my kids is that they know Jesus deeply and passionately. What I desire for my kids is that they have a healthy relationship with Christ and a healthy relationship with Christ's body. So when we think about dreaming and we think about kids, we think about birth, That's all great potential, but what I'm more concerned about is when they die, have they reached their full potential? What I'm concerned about for myself is when Thomas Settles ceases to exist the way you know him to exist. Because here's the truth. We are all going to live for eternity. Some of us with God, some of us separated with God. But when this person ceases to exist on this earth, I need to be committed to making sure that my death is something to be celebrated because I am dying in Christ. When you think about death, it really does cause us to celebrate because it gives us an opportunity to see what we have fulfilled. When we die, we want to die knowing that we not only have a relationship with Christ, but we've had an experience with Christ, where Christ has spoken to us, where Christ has blessed us, where Christ has used us. I can't speak for you, but I want, when I die, I desire to die in a way where I can say, Lord, I gave you not just my best, but Lord, you used my life in such a way that I fulfill the calling that you've given me to fulfill. Yes, it's hard for us to, to accept this, But this is a reality that every one of us will experience one day. I know we don't want to hear this because on this side of eternity, we want to think that we are able to determine when we're ready to go. On this side of eternity, we want to be able to say, I will make the decision when I'm done. I will make the decision when my transition is up. I will make the decision when it's time for me to go. I'm going to say something that's very, it's a little morbid, but I think I need to say it this morning. On next week, I turn 38 years old. If I were to leave today, and if I were to get into a car accident, if I were to die, I really believe that the initial response would not be his death day is better than his, than his birthday. Just being honest, okay? The initial response would be he died too soon. The initial response would be you know, why would God take the young? The initial response would be that something's wrong with what has happened. And yes, I want to live for a long time. Yes, I want to raise my kids. Yes, I dream about walking my daughter down the aisle. Yes, I dream about seeing my kids graduate. Yes, I dream about being a, a, a grandfather one day. I dream about all of those things. I dream about growing old with the Vita. Yes, I want to experience all those things. But here's what I also got to remember. I want to say this very clearly. I got to remember that every gift, every experience, every opportunity, everything that's in my life is a gift from God. 
and none of these things belong to me. If you live life thinking that the kids belong to you or the church belongs to you or all of life belongs to you, then you've missed the reality that you are simply a good steward or you are simply called to be a steward. There's a, in the Christian life, there is a significant difference between ownership and stewardship. Ownership means this is yours. This is your thing. You can call the shots. But stewardship says, no, I've been entrusted with something very important. And since God has entrusted me with something, I want to be found faithful over what the Lord has entrusted to me. It's the truth. Even as I woke up this morning, the house I woke up in wasn't my house. It's God's house. This body that I'm standing in is not my body. It's God's body. This church building that I'm preaching in right now is not my church. It's God's church. Those kids who I've been blessed with are not my kids. They're God's kids. That marriage that I appreciate and covet is not my marriage. It's God's marriage. That job that I enjoy is not my job. It's God's job. And if I look at anything in my life from a perspective other than that, then I run the risk of living in a way where I've made things an idol and I've made things to be in a place where only God should be. As a pastor, I got I to gotta make sure that I'm challenging you to hold everything in your life loosely because here's the truth. We can leave here today and in a second, someone's life can be drastically changed. And if you hold too tight to the thing, and God takes the thing away from you, then you can lose your faith. There's a pastor who I was listening to this week. He, um, he, wrote a, he wrote an article where he mentioned that because of the reality and impending death that we will all experience one day, he has, a, he has a, a, a book or a journal that he calls Don't Cry For Me. He's told his church about it. He's told his wife about it. And he says, if in the event of his untimely death, he would love for um, this, this article to be read. He says every now and again he'll sit and pray and reflect, or even while he's driving in his car, the Lord will give him just a little nugget of truth, and he'll add it to his Don't Cry For Me journal. He says, Don't Cry For Me, because I've experienced a marriage where I got to love, I, I've experienced a marriage where I have the privilege uh, to be married to the love of my life. He said, don't cry for me. He says, don't cry for me because I've had the opportunity to preach the gospel in closed countries across the world. He says, don't cry for me because I have had great friendships and I've had fellowships that were so good that I've laughed so hard until I threw up. He says, don't cry for me. He says, I have great friends who have been faithful in good times and bad times. He says, don't cry for me. I've been blessed with kids who love me and respect me. He says, don't cry for me. I've been loved by God and nothing can separate me from God's love. And although he adds to his journal, he always leaves the last don't cry for me the same. At the last line of the document, he says, don't cry for me because I'm home. That's got to be our mindset. And, and, and if, if something were to happen to one of us, our hearts would be broken and we would mourn. But, but when a person who dies in Jesus transitions to be home, then we don't need to say things like gone too soon or why did God take the young? We need to understand that Jesus is giving us an opportunity 
uh, to live in such a way where we know that our life is secure when we die in Christ. In the passage, the author speaks about the importance of the life you live. He speaks about the legacy that you leave. But thirdly, the author speaks about the love that you leverage. Verse number two says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. As the passage continues, there's a progression. He goes from speaking about character in life to legacy and death. And now we see the opportunity to love those who are dealing with death because it gives us an opportunity for reflection. Yes, we love those who are mourning, but also in loving those who are mourning, we have an opportunity to reflect on our lives. The passage essentially is telling us that a wise man or woman goes to a funeral and they want to encourage and strengthen those who are hurting, but they also use it as an opportunity to reflect on where am I personally with the Lord? And based upon the context and the experiences of the author, Solomon could easily have said, listen, y'all, I love a good party. I love feasting. I love the good moments. I love to be with friends. I love the moments when the stars align and we have a great opportunity. Like some, some people here today, you probably say, T, I love a party. I love a good, I love to go out. I love to have a good experience. I think all of those things are good. But here's the truth. The last time you were at a party, when, when your song dropped, whatever your song is, from Frank Sinatra to LMA Boot Up. I don't know. Find yourself somewhere in the middle, right? When your song dropped, when you were in the midst of the party, did you think about God? Did you think about where you stood with the Lord? Did you think about eternity? Did you think about your finitude? Did you think about what God had called you to do? You didn't. You were thinking about the beat dropping. You were thinking about showing out. You were thinking about doing something special because you were enjoying the moment. There's something about a funeral, though, that does the opposite. Something about seeing that casket. Something about seeing a husband or a wife, a son or a daughter, a co-worker, crying and mourning and hurting that causes you to think and reflect and accept the journey that the person took is the journey I'm going to have to take for myself. And that's not to be a Debbie Downer this morning. That's not to, to fuss at you or to cause you to think that we should be afraid or fearful. But I love the text because it gives us an opportunity to reflect on, am I in right standing with God? Not just in terms of my salvation, but here's the, here's the other side of that, in terms of my growth and sanctification. Now, some of us here, we're good with God in the sense of we've placed our faith in Jesus. We have a relationship with God. God's spirit is inside of us. But, but the, the next question is, how am I growing? Like, am, am I progressing in my faith? Am I, am I being the husband, the father? Am I being the, the wife, the mother? Am I being the coworker, the friend, uh, the aunt, the, the uncle, the whoever? Am I being the person that God's called me to be? And when we think about a funeral, and honestly, I, I'll tell you this, it's, it's hard. Death, death is it's something that we don't want to deal with. It's something that we don't want to consider. 
But it's something that we have to consider because it is a part of life. And when you look at the text, when you look at verse 3, it tells us that sorrow can be helpful. Verse 3 says, sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. He wants to stay on the idea of sorrow and grief and frustration because these are opportunities for us to see clearly. Here's a very quick and practical example for us. Whatever your sin struggle is, whatever it is, whether it be pride or envy or grief or sadness or people-pleasing, it's, it's, it's an opportunity when we experience sorrow and pain to identify what sin has our number. One preacher says it this way, God has a way of using sorrow and pain to churn up our lives so that the things that need to be expelled from our lives can be clearly seen. Uh, many of you guys didn't have the privilege of, of being here uh, in this building before we did the renovations. If you look right out, no, don't do it right now, but if you look right outside the doors, uh, there was about 5,000 square feet of an old house that we had to get rid of. And it smelled bad, it had mold, it had asbestos. I mean, it was just, it was just terrible. The sad thing is, they were having church here, and they just kind of were ignoring the issues and not doing anything with it. When we got here, we had to make a decision. Hey, do we, do we just save some money and just kind of ignore it and kind of grin and bear it, or do we do the hard work and spend a lot of money to make it right? God has a, a way of doing what we did and using sorrow. God has a way of busting out walls and renovating the house. And God uses sorrow and pain because if God doesn't do it that way, a lot of times those things won't come to the surface. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to go through um, the transformation process that we have to go through in Christ. But here is the truth. God allows us to go through those things not to hurt us, but God allows us to go through those things to help us. God allows us to go through those things to heal us. When God allows sorrow and pain in your life, it's not that God is mad at you or angry with you or fussing at you. God allows those things to happen because God knows if I don't give them a little pain, if I don't allow them to experience some sorrow, if I don't give them some grief, then they will never have the things that need to be revealed, revealed. I mean, how many of us would go to a doctor and immediately allow them to give us a prescription meds, give us some pres- prescription medicine without diagnosing the issue. Like how many of us would um, allow the doctor to schedule a procedure without first allowing the doctor to do something to diagnose what needs to happen? Okay. Now here's the thing: depending upon the issue, there's some things that the doctor will do to you that're going to hurt you, right? I remember when I was in eighth grade, I broke my not eighth grade. I was in was in sixth grade, I broke my tibia playing football. And I remember going to the doctor, and I remember the doctor having to manipulate my leg, and I remember wanting to come off that table and lay hands on the doctor. (laughs) He was manipulating my leg because he was trying to diagnose the issue. And it hurt, and it was painful, and it was, I could not understand why a doctor would allow me to go through something so bad. Well, ultimately, he was doing what was best for me. Fast forward 20 years later, I understand that he wasn't trying to hurt me. I understand that he was ultimately trying to help me. 
I think as a pastor, it's important for me to say that the Christian life is the greatest privilege you will ever have. The fact that you have your sins forgiven, the fact that you have an eternal relationship with God that is not based upon your performance is something that is so undeserving. It is something that is so amazing. It is something that is so incredible. It is something that has totally transformed our life. And although I just, everything I just said is true, I want to say something else that's also true. Life is still hard. Pain is still real. Disappointment is still tough. And please do not think that just because the other side is true, God will not allow you to go through pain and struggling. As a pastor, I am, I am more aware now of the pain and the suffering that people have gone through. I am more aware now of the, of the hurts that people have had to experience. And I want to say very clearly this morning, if God has allowed hurts and pains in your life, I want you to know that God wants to heal you from those things. I'm not promising you that God's going to give you a husband, that God's going to give you the car that you desire. I'm not promising you that God's going to allow you to have the career that you desire and you're going to have the corner office. I'm not saying any of that. But I am saying in Christ, there's healing. I am saying that God has a way of taking the greatest hurts, the greatest disappointments, and the greatest failures of our life. And God has a way of working all those things together for your good. And the more we see God working, and the more we see God healing us and molding us and transforming us, the more we can trust that God is not just good to us, but God is in control of us. and He gives us what's best. You, you look at the text, there's a, there's a, there's a um, statement here that, that those who are wise go to, go to mourning, but but the heart of the fool is in the house of mirth. Mirth is a picture of uh, entertainment and being amused. I think that we live in a culture in a time where we are so easily amused and entertained. And it's easy for us to rather than going to the house of mourning and reflecting on where we are with God. It's easy for us to go to the house of entertainment and ignore what's really happening in our lives. For us, I want to make this very clear, very applicable. For some of us, we just want to be entertained. And we just want to be amused. That's why we go to the bar. We want to be entertained and amused. That's why we go to the strip club. We want to be entertained and amused. That's why we log on to the website. We want to be entertained and amused. That's why we are trying to be a people pleaser. Because we want to be, amazed, uh, we want to be um, entertained and amused. That's why we scroll through social media so much. We want to be amazed and amused. That's why we binge watch TV. That's why we overeat. That's why we do the things we do because it's easier to do that versus taking the hard moments of reflecting on where I stand with God and whether or not God is pleased with my life. As I get ready to close and Chris comes up, and three just very, very simple points of application for us this morning. When you look at our text and you look at the passage, when I got through about three verses this morning, um, when you look at the passage, look at the text. The first question that verse number one gets us to consider is this. What gets the majority of my focus? My character or my cologne? What gets my focus? Like, am I just, and once again, 
I want you to be concerned about your outside. I want you to be concerned about your temple. I want you to be concerned about uh, your health. I, I think those are good things. But do I place more focus on the cologne, the fragrance that comes out of my life? Or, more, uh, or am I more concerned about the character that is revealed through my life? Second point of application. What has my life revealed? Great potential or spiritual growth? Once again, babies have great potential. And once you enter a relationship with Jesus, man, you have great potential spiritually. Man, God so desires to use you in a significant and special way. But here's the, here's the other side of the coin. Am I just living off great potential? Or have I gotten to a place in my life where I am consistently committed to spiritual growth? Here's what that looks like. It means it doesn't matter how long you've been in church. doesn't matter how long you've been at Calvary. doesn't matter your education, your experiences. This means I'm committed wherever I am to taking the next step of faith. For some people, that means I need to get out of some relationships. For other people, that means I need to take a greater step in the ministry. For some people, that means I need to simply uh, cut some things off or do some things differently. I cannot tell you what that is, but here's what I will tell you. I hope and pray that you get to a place in your life where your life reveals spiritual growth and not just great potential. And then lastly, the question that we must consider is this. Where do I stand with God? Am I unforgiven or forgiven? That's the first question, right? Like, C has two parts. The first part of C is, have I placed my faith in Jesus? And have I been forgiven of all of my sins for eternity? The invitation to trust Christ is an invitation not to try hard, do hard. It's an invitation to surrender to what Christ has already done on your behalf. So the question we've got to ask ourselves, number one is, have I gotten to a place in my life why I have surrendered my life to Jesus. Second side of that question is this. In light of the forgiveness that I have in Jesus, okay, how is my sanctification process going, right? I talked about this this morning in our, um, in our new members, well, not new members class, in our baptism class. Three big words that are expressed in a, um, in a tombstone. You have a, usually on the tombstone, you have a birthday, a dash, and a death day. For the Christian, the birthday is justification. It's the day that you are declared righteous. It's the day that you are forgiven. It's the day that you move from being a sinner to a saint. It's a one-time event. You don't ever have to do that again. On the other side, there's the death day. That's glorification. That's the day that you die. That's the day that you go home to be with the Lord. Justification, birthday, glorification, death day. But the middle part is a part that I need to focus on. The middle part is something called sanctification, where you are called to grow closer, you are called to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. And I'm not going to call you out, but I want to ask you this simple question Where do you stand? in terms of your sanctification. 
Have you hit cruise control? Are you just comfortable not going to hell? Or are you giving God your best? Where you're leveraging everything for the sake of the gospel. Where you're living intentionally on mission because you want to make an impact for God's kingdom. Like that's what we got to consider this morning. So I want to ask uh, some folks, um, if you've been asked in the past to come and pray, I want you to come on up now. And as the Brother Larry, Sean, now come on up. And then Lord, we're going to have a song of closure today. But as they sing this morning, I want to open up the altar and allow anyone to come and to pray. I want you to know that this is an opportunity for you specifically um, to pray with someone, to ask someone questions. I want you to know that this is an opportunity for you to take a step of faith. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you are here this morning, you'll say, you know what, Pastor? I'm not scared. I'm not doing this out of guilt. But Pastor, if I die today, I do not know why I will spend eternity. And Pastor, I want to place my faith in Christ. Pastor, I want to settle that issue in my heart. I want you to know that we have people here this morning who will pray with you and pray for you. Also, if you're saying, hey, Pastor, and I'm just going through a rough season. I need healing in my life. I need encouragement in my life. I just want somebody to pray with me. I want you guys to know that the altar's open. And also, too, you say, you know what, Pastor? I'm, I've kind of hit cruise control. And Lord, I want, to, I want to take steps of faith in the process of sanctification. I want to continue to move forward in my life spiritually. You want to pray with somebody, the altar's open. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for helping us to grow closer to you. God, I'm thankful for this series. I'm thankful for your word. Not because it simply challenges our church. I'm thankful because it's challenging me as I grow in my faith. God, help us to not get comfortable. God, if there's someone here today that does not have a relationship with Jesus, that desires a relationship with Christ that desires to move from death to life, from unforgiven to forgiven. I pray, God, that you would draw them to the altar now. There's someone here this morning, God, who is in need of healing. Could be physical healing, could be spiritual. I pray that they would know the altar's open. I thank you for this time. And Lord, we commit it to you now in Jesus.